The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 888, for Monday, September 6th, 2021. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your tips. Your questions, your cool stuff found. Sometimes your tips are short. Sometimes they're quick. It's kind of how things go. We morph all those into an agenda. We mash them together. We string them together. We try to organize them such that we each get to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include textexpander.com slash podcast linkedin.com slash mgg where you can post your first job for free and a new one DraftKings, where you can download the DraftKings app now and use code mgg to get a free shot at their one million dollar top prize we have details to share about all of that and we will do so shortly later here in the episode but for now back finally here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton and here in fearful connecticut this is john Fron. hey man so uh i'm still on pacific time so I'm I'm trying here, but uh, mm. I was out in uh, in Portland, and then we were supposed to go to see some concerts in Tahoe, but because of the fires, they, <laughs> Fish actually did the logistical near impossibility of moving two concerts five days before they happened, which mm. I can't even imagine what that took on their part to do. I mean, for me, all I had to do was book a different hotel and change my flights, which was trivial. But uh, but we wound up being in uh, in Mountain View, California. You know, when you get those because they, they played at Shoreline. So I got to see a bunch of old friends um, in in uh, in San Francisco or in the in the Bay Area. You know, when when you get those emails, every email from Google and it says like uh, 1800 Amphitheater Parkway in Mountain View, California. I drove Amphitheater yeah. Parkway four times last week because Shoreline is right behind Google's campus. So it was, I saw, I, I didn't even think about it. I mean, you drive past Google, you see it, it's right there. It's a huge campus, obviously. But, um, but I never thought about it until like after we got back, we got like a Google voicemail message in our email here at Mac or whatever that we'll play later in the show. And, uh, and I saw, you know, 1800 Amphitheater Parkway and I was like, Oh, Hey, wait a minute. I was right there. Like, you know, you don't ever think about these things anyway. Um, John, I have, uh, since I've been back, I, I have, or at least for the last 24 hours, I have been dealing with having to basically re-authenticate and re-log into everything on this computer. And that's because I got a new motherboard. Uh, for about the last year, I have had an issue that you may remember me talking about on this show where I realized that my Ethernet port on the uh, 2019 iMac in the studio would only negotiate 100 megabit connections, not gigabit connections. Mm. And it took me a while to realize that this was going on because, you know, it, it would it would take a, a few seconds to, to negotiate. But, you know, once it negotiated, it's fine. Like you don't I, I don't spend a lot of time looking at the uh, you can see that in system preferences, network, Ethernet hardware. You can see how fast the connection is. But I don't spend a lot of time in there unless I'm troubleshooting something. And so one day I was and I noticed it. And since then, I've been using the 
Ethernet port on my Thunderbolt dock, which happily negotiates a gigabit. And so it's been fine. But I figured I should get this fixed. So being away for nine days was a perfect opportunity to take this computer in. So pretty much right after we recorded the last episode of uh, after we recorded 887, I took it down to the folks at Mac Edge in Portsmouth, New Hampshire here. They are our local uh, Apple authorized service provider. And uh, and then they finished it while I was while I was gone. They put a new motherboard in. Um, but uh, like they were there, they they do a great job there. They are excellent folks. They know like great, great folks. there. really smart, really talented. Uh, but they their diagnostics were really interesting. Like they put my computer as I brought it in, as they were checking it in or checking me in. They put my computer on the diagnostic bench and had it run its diagnostics. So before I even left, and it took maybe, you know, five or ten minutes, they had confirmed that the computer passed all the diagnostics and, or except, I should say, it connected to their Ethernet network at 100 instead of 1,000. So it was like, perfect. They've seen the problem. Like, I mean, they knew how to contact me and all that stuff, but it was a very efficient process. So I'm happy to have it back. But the problem is when you get a new motherboard, man... Everything changes. So my, of course, my, my Ethernet reservation changed because my MAC address changed. Uh, it also changed because I moved it from my dock to back to my computer, but it would have changed on the computer anyway. But everything else, like I had to re-log in to all my apps, all iCloud, like no, basically no apps would launch before I, I re-logged in. I had to re-log into setup this morning to send out the tweet when we were doing the show. I had to re-log into Twitter and, uh, and that's just a normal byproduct of changing a motherboard out underneath the, uh, the computer. So it was, it's been, uh, it's been interesting, but it works great now. So it, it's all good, but just bear that in mind. If you ever have the motherboard replaced, um, that, that there are, there are many things that, that you will then go through to remind you that you had your motherboard replaced. They're not terrible, but yeah. you know, yeah. Well, yeah, I think, um, so I think every Mac, in addition to the, uh, ethernet, Mac address um, also has, I think, a GUID buried in there somewhere, which is also like another unique identifier for that machine. Yes. And I think that's incorporated when in a lot of software where you have to register something. That makes sense because my serial number didn't change. Right. Oh, but interesting. All right. Yeah. It, if you I think if you were to get like an aftermarket, you know, third party motherboard or not third party, but if you were to get a motherboard from a third party, it would be an Apple motherboard uh, that you would wind up with the serial number assigned to that motherboard. Apple dealers and authorized service providers are able to reprogram it and put your original serial number back in. So, yeah, my serial number doesn't change. But I think you're totally right that the the GUID, whatever that GUID is baked into the motherboard, obviously does change. So, yeah, but thankfully they were able to do it without messing with any of my data or or other settings. So it's it's been fairly smooth. But uh, but yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating. All the all the things that, you know, as I launch them, it's like, oh, yeah, got to do that. Oh, yeah, got to do this. But um Another thing to check, Mac Edge did this part right, but I had, actually I had the Genius Bar, I don't know, four or five years ago, replace the, I don't even think they replaced the motherboard, I think they just replaced the CPU slash GPU unit in my 2014 Retina iMac, and they replaced it with the wrong speed chip. 
So this was this was not my most recent repair. That one they did fine, but I knew to check for it uh, because a genius bar had done the wrong one in the past. And um, when I called them, they were super embarrassed about it, obviously. And, and you know, at first they were like, um, well, we can get you in. You know, we have an appointment for next week. And it's like, no, no. In fact, I think I realized it while I was shopping. Like we we picked it up and then went and had lunch at, at whatever mall the, you know, the the Apple store was in, I think probably in Salem, New Hampshire. And I realized it looking at the receipt in my email at lunch and was like, we got to go back. And they were like, yeah, we can't get you in today. I'm like, mm-hmm. you don't seem to understand. Like, this is now your priority. You put the wrong mm-hmm. chip in my computer. <laughs> so check that, though. If you're, you know, if you're getting things replaced, mm-hmm. make sure that that they replace it with the right thing, because lots of things will work inside your computer. You know, those parts are modular. So always make sure to check. I did check. Like I said, Mac Edge did the right thing. No great surprise. So. Uh, all right. Should we um, should we do some quick tips, mm-hmm. my friend? Sure. Okay. My first one is, or our first one is for me. Uh, I spent, as I said, nine, maybe 10 days on the road. And I, I did not, this was not technically a vacation. We were moving our son into school. And then, uh, like I said, went to those, those two concerts. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, work needed to continue. And so, uh, for both of us, you know, and so we made sure we had, uh, either an Airbnb or in, uh, in Mountain View, we had a hotel, that, you know, gave us ample space for us both to work and that sort of thing, which is sort of important. But um, what really helped was using uh, handoff. I guess it's part of handoff. Really, it's just treated as an airplay display where I we actually we both used our iPads as second screens for our Macs. And it's super easy. You just set up your iPad next to your Mac. You go into, you know, system preferences, displays. And choose your iPad as your AirPlay display. And that's it. Boom. It's there. It's done. You can drag windows back and forth. And it to me, I'm used to a lot of screen real estate when I'm when I'm working. I have two monitors here, actually, in the studio. I have two down in my office. And though it wasn't a 27-inch screen that I was able to add to my Mac, it really, even just having a 10-inch iMac, uh, iPad screen, rather, sidecar, that's the name. Thank you to Kiwi Graham and Warren in our chat room at live.macgeekab.com. Sidecar. Uh, so using Sidecar, which is essentially using the iPad as a as a separate display, made, it, I don't know, it just made the experience more immersive for me. I wasn't fighting as much with Windows. It, it's just really nice to have a second screen at, to, to put something else on so I can kind of have two things up at, at once. So... Anyway, 13-inch MacBook Air and and the uh, mm-hmm. the 10-inch display made all the difference in the world. It made me super productive. So, yeah, just a just a quick tip, heads up. When we did some of those remote events, I would often do that. So I would have you know like the you know the slides on the iPad and then the the video interaction on on my MacBook. Yeah, just yeah. Oh, I see. Present. Like even just in your house. It, mm-hmm. Because you were doing those remote um, events on your laptop, not on the mm-hmm. Mac Mini in your studio. I got it. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it's right. Exactly. When you have to have a, a video up or something full screen, having that extra screen that you can, like you said, take notes on. That's a great idea. I like mm-hmm. it. Mr. X has a quick tip for us. He says, uh, 
it would probably be helpful to remind the audience that even when you're using a VPN, you can still leak your real IP via DNS leaking. And there is a useful site to test for DNS leaks, and it's called DNSLeakTest.com. So we will put a link to that in the show notes. And, and this is correct. You can, if DNS isn't being routed through the VPN, you can still very easily leak your real IP to a, uh, to a DNS server and, and may even wind up getting, uh, you know, DNS results that are specific to your area and not the area that you're intending to VPN from. So that's a great tip. Thank you, Mr. X. We'll put that link in the show notes at MacGeekab.com. Of course, if you go visit MacGeekab.com, you can give us your email and sign up for the list so that you get show notes delivered to your inbox every week. You don't even have to look for them. They're just right there. You have to go once. Then after that, it's all good. Brian has, have, oh, before we go to that, have you ever dealt with the DNS leaks or anything like that, John? No, no. Okay. I have to... to check it out. Uh, listener Brian has a good quick tip. If you are using raid, he says, um, after months of working with support at soft raid to solve disc locking kernel panics and other strange problems with a brand new Thunder Bay four, they told me sleep does not like raid volumes. So they suggested either using lock screen and only allowing display to sleep, which means uncheck, put hard disks to sleep and check prevent sleep when display is off. Uh, if not shutting down entirely overnight, so shutdown is okay, but, but sleeping the Mac and, and sleeping discs specifically is, uh, is an issue. He said, so yeah, he was having all kinds of rate issues, but turning off sleep hmm. seems to have solved them. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, I guess that makes it, it, I feel like there's a way to fix this, but it also makes sense, right? Because if your Mac, if you're using software raid, either apples or soft raids, you know, it's your Mac that's managing those volumes. And so I could see where the sleep wake process, especially if it's a boot volume might be an issue. I don't know. Again, I feel like there's a, th this should be a solvable problem and uh, with allowing sleep, but, um, but you know, that's how it goes. Right. I don't know. Any thoughts on that before we move on to some cool yeah. stuff? Yeah. As far as I know, all of uh, both my Drobo and Synologies will spin down the discs after a certain amount of time right but that's hardware raid not yes. software raid so two right. very different things but a great mm -hmm. distinction yeah yeah letting your mac sleep if you're using some kind of hardware raid or especially a networked raid device no problem mm -hmm. it's software raid where your mac is actually managing the raid itself that seems to be the issue brian's reporting here yeah mm -hmm. yeah but even direct attached hardware raid uh, which exists I don't think is, is affected by this problem, but certainly network attached is mm -hmm. not. So yeah, cool. Hey, let's jump to cool stuff found John. And you have, uh, you have something I'm eager to hear about. Yes, I have a cool stuff found and here it is. What is it for kind everyone that like... can't see it? Yes. Um, it's round and it has a hole drilled into it. Um, what it is, is the Chipolo one spot okay what's it do um it's uh the first device that i'm aware of um and i bought some well you just saw i had it um or maybe you didn't unless you <laughs> that's right <laughs> if you're just listening you can't see it um uh it's basically uh, uh the first 
find my network device that's not from Apple. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's an upside and a downside. So one, it only supports Bluetooth. It does not have the ultra wideband. Okay. Um, so that's the downside. Um, you know, it, it'll still locate your stuff. It's just that you you don't get the you know magic circle and and all that stuff when you get close to something. Right. But it will you know show you directions on the map uh, as you walk towards it. Okay, I see. Okay, so so this is effectively a a, a third party AirTag without mm-hmm. the same level of granularity as an AirTag. Right. Um, is there a benefit two, to this device though? Oh, keep sorry. Number keep two. Going. Yep. Number two, it has a hole drilled into it. Um, that is a benefit. one of the problems with the air tag is that you have to get an external holder or you can, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. If you know where to drill, you can drill a hole in the air tag. Of course, you'll make it then not water resistant, I would think. And also you may destroy it. So, right. Yeah. So if you need a hole, you know, to put on like a key ring and stuff. And then here's the other advantage, Dave. This thing. uh, Hold on here. Let's see. All right. Ready? I'm going to play a sound. Okay. That's a pretty sound. Yeah, but it's also, dude, it's like 100 decibels. It's like the dead loud. Is it louder than the the Apple one? Oh, okay. All right. I don't know how loud the Apple is. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, Apple's isn't that loud. I mean, they cover, you know, they make like a certain pattern, you know, like almost like a radar blip. Yeah. And they vary the frequency, kind of like this does too. But, I noticed um, when I, we talked, we might have talked about this on the show. I, I noticed that when, when I first got my AirTags that it, it seemed really quiet and, and like almost to the point where it was too quiet if I was even in the room with it. And mm-hmm. then I went four rooms away and I rang it and it was mm-hmm. the same volume four rooms away. So Apple's chosen a frequency or a pattern that seems to to carry very well, even though it's not loud. So Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to see, you know, if you put two of these things next to each other, if you kept getting further and further away and ringing the AirTag in the Chipola one spot, Mm -hmm. you know, how is there a point at which you hear the Chipola, but not the AirTag? Because that's really what Mm -hmm. matters, right? Decibels are part of the equation, but, but, you know, being able to sound, being able to carry is a, is a different part of that equation, but yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. And the pricing's about the same, uh, a four pack you can get for under a hundred dollars. Okay. Similar to Apple. Yep. Um, but you know, it takes the same battery CR 2032, I think. Sure. Um, replaceable battery. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's, it's an option. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who else, um, jumps on the find my bandwagon these guys are the first actually i never heard of them until i saw a post on twitter about them yeah i would i would like to see it start being embedded into other devices that that have functions other than just being a an, an air tag or you know a, a, mm-hmm. a, like it'd be cool to have it in in other things like you know I don't even know, like baked into a key ring or baked into a wallet, right? Like find mm-hmm. me, get me a billfold kind of thing that, that or a money clip that has something like this baked into it. That would be handy, you know, or other Bluetooth devices like, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. they may do that. Chipolo, I looked and they do have a wallet size 
locator, though it's not Find My. It's using, I guess, just regular old Bluetooth. Just their own proprietary thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Hey, while we're at it, we should uh, we have a, a question about AirTags. And so I figured we should answer that while we're here. Uh, mm. Listener Carl asks, he says, uh, you were recently talking about putting AirTags into your luggage, which I did again on this trip. and I loved it. Uh, when you travel so that you can keep track of where your bags are. However, when we fly, we are always told to put our cell phones into airplane mode so that they don't interfere with the airplane electronics. If there were a bunch of air tags in the luggage in the cargo hold, could they start interfering with the airplane's electronics? So the answer is, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say maybe I don't want to say definitively no, but the reason we are told to put our cell phones in airplane mode is to turn off the mobile radio, the cellular radio. But Bluetooth and Wi-Fi are perfectly acceptable on the plane. In fact, it, it, this is worth noting. If you go and turn on airplane mode on your phone, you can then turn Wi-Fi and Bluetooth individually or, or both back on. And your phone will remember that that's what you want for airplane mode. So the next time you turn on airplane mode, your Wi-Fi will remain on. And that might not be what you want the next time you turn on airplane mode. So just bear that in mind. But yeah, it, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth are totally fine on the plane. I use Bluetooth for my headphones, as do many, many people on the plane. And of course, planes themselves have their own Wi-Fi network. So Wi-Fi is, is fine. Um, as far as the... Cell phone, the reasoning behind why we don't use or, or shouldn't use cell phones on planes, it's um, it there's it's twofold. And I as I understand it, the primary reason is not the planes electronics, but it's the cell network. The cell network is built to do handoffs, assuming that you are on the ground and if you are flying above the towers, you know, mile above the towers, those handoffs don't ha don't like it's a very different set of math and it screws up the network. But also when you are doing those handoffs, you know, sometimes if your phone is at the edge of a signal range and you have it near a speaker, you can hear that chattering, chirping sound. Mm -hmm. If you had a hundred phones doing that, uh, that could cause issues, not just with the plane's electronics, but with the pilot's ability to hear radio chatter in their headsets. So, so yes, there, there are, as I understand it, I'll put an article in here from the Honolulu civil beat, which, which actually goes through all of this stuff, but those, those are all factors. So it, yes, it could interfere. There is a non-zero chance that it could interfere with the plane's electronics, but it's more, but if that were, if that were a greater chance then they would they would be enforcing this with a whole lot more rigor than they do, because, you know, Timmy always leaves his phone turned on on the plane and then he lands and the battery's dead and the battery's dead because he's been hopping cells all flight um, and he's been out of range, which tends to kill your battery. But um, but it, it's you know, it's a non zero chance, but it's more that the FCC has said, yeah, no, 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 we don't want. We don't want to tax the cell network this way. So turn them off, folks. You're probably not going to get a signal most of the time anyway. But anyway, we'll put a thing in the thing. And if you know more about this, feedback at MacGeekCab.com. Did you say feedback at MacGeekCab.com? I, I did, but you might not have been able to hear me because my phone's at the edge of the range. And so it might have been chattering mm -hmm. in your ears. So, I yeah, I said feedback at MacGeekCab.com. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I found similar. It was uh, one of these. Q&A sites, Quora or something like that. But um, 
and it was from supposedly from a pilot. And he said, yeah, the main reason is that, yeah, so the power level of a cell phone trying to phone home can get into like, I think he quoted like six watts or something, which is a lot of power, relatively yeah. speaking. For And yes, that it would interfere not so much with the radar and stuff, but with voice communications. Yeah. Yeah. We took a... um. Uh, a, a a small it was a Cessna 172 we went up in uh, when we got to Portland and uh, it was actually a blast the the guy took us down like the um, the Columbia River so we could see the gorge but we were flying at a thousand feet and never once did he suggest we needed to turn off our cell phones and you know it, we had to climb to 1500 when we went over the dam uh, as per local you know air airspace regulations. But otherwise, we were sitting at a thousand feet and our cell phones were totally fine, as you would imagine. I mean, we, we were lower than the tops of a lot of the, you know, hills that we were flying in between. And it was an amazingly smooth ride, too. I, like, it was weird. It was like one of the smoothest airplane rides I've ever had, regardless of plane size, which was sort of weird. But it was it was fun. But, yeah, you know, in a small plane, depending on your intended cruising altitudes, uh, it may not be an issue. But, you know, going up. To thirty five thousand, or if you're in a private plane, private jet that they all fly at forty five thousand, so they stay away from commercial traffic. You know that you definitely you're not going to get a signal reliably up there. So, uh, all right, all right. yeah, moving on. Uh, listener, right, moving on. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Listener Mark uh, shares a cool stuff found. He says. Uh, you guys have mentioned a better finder rename on the show a few times from memory. And I was reminded of it on a recent show where you were talking about regex, regex, which is the key to ABFR's capabilities. But I have not heard mention of BMFM, which is big mean folder machine. When COVID hit, uh, we needed to shut off our or shut down our office and get everyone working from home at the same time as turning a very paper based business uh, into an all electronic version of the same. Each job had a paper folder that went from group to group as the job progressed. That's difficult when the groups are not in the same building. We had files all over the place and would be adding more and more as we started saving to disk rather than printing the combination of ABFR to get all of the various files into a consistent naming convention. And then BMFM, made from the same folks as ABFR to move them all into their newly consolidated home was awesome. Thanks for this, Mark. That makes a lot of sense. I had, I never knew about big mean folder machine. So that now I can't say that anymore. Now we know it's great. I like it. Did you know about BMFM, John? No. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Right. Uh, all right. While we were traveling, I noticed an article uh, that Andrew put up here, Andrew or put up here, the Mac observer. And it's an app called a shell, a dash dash shell. Easy for me to say. That's a terminal app for iOS and iPad OS. And it supports Python, Perl, text, C plus plus, and all kinds of Unix utilities. And it's got even more commands now, including things like FFmpeg and Unrar. It <laughs> like, yeah. So it's a terminal app for your phone. And, uh, and now you can use uh, a um, oh, what's the command? Uh, it's in the article anyway. But you can one of the new commands they added allows you to force it, force your iPhone to trigger iCloud downloads. So it's actually got it's not just, you know, an interesting thing. It's got some utility 
And if you need to force an iCloud sync, you can do that. So um, I think it's a pick folder or something. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's in, it's in the article. I will um, I will put the link to the article in the show notes at MacGeekCab.com. But yeah, I was stoked to see that. So it's fun. Uh, while we're on the subject of the terminal, John, listener Todd shared something with me that I never knew about and I now love. Uh, he says, when I set up a new iMac, I install Homebrew. And then next, I install TLDR with Homebrew. And you do it by typing brew install TLDR. TLDR provides simplified man pages for the tasks you are most likely going to be running in the terminal. You don't have to rummage around through the man pages or Google for appropriate syntax. It lists. And if you, you know, if you type um, TLDR and then a command name. So I did TLDR space netstat, right? Just to see what it would tell me. And it gave me like four of the most common examples of what people actually use netstat for and how to invoke them with. And so I didn't have to go. And like he said, you know, either read the man page or more often than not, I find that my find myself at Stack Exchange where someone has, uh, you know, effectively TLDR it being like, oh, if you want to see this, do that. And so TLDR is now uh well it doesn't have a home on this mac because I, I just got i just got home to this mac and this mac just got home but it will have a home on this mac in fact i'm gonna go ahead and type brew install tldr right now and hope that i don't break everything because now it's going to be here on this mac did you know about tldr john um uh the traditional definition yes but this uh implementation no the command tldr no of course, means too long, didn't read. And it's something, if you post that, um, it tells everybody that basically you you just have a off-the-wall opinion and you actually didn't read the article, right? No, 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 that's not what it means. No, what it means is I, it's, I just typed a long opus, and if you don't want to read my long opus, the TLDR is the summary of ah. that article. So that's that. And that's what it does here, too. Right. It it says, don't bother reading and, and digesting the man page just to get here. TLDR. This is all you need to know. It, this is the summary. So TLDR is a summary. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, TLDR, if you're traveling at, at all, get yourself uh, traveling at all on planes with any regularity, which I realize we haven't been doing for a while. But it, it, as we get back to that. Get yourself an Oculus Quest 2. They're like 400 bucks. This is a VR headset. My son wound up buying one, uh, I guess, right after he got home from school this past spring with the intention, of, and, and, and he followed through on this, of taking it with him to school because it will allow him to play video games without having a big TV in his dorm room. And... Uh, so we got a chance to use it all summer and it really is truly amazing. I, you know, you put this thing on, I, I'm surprised we, we haven't talked about it in the show, but I really don't think we have. You put this thing on and you are in another world. It, it like, it doesn't look like the real world. It's clearly computer generated and all of that, but it is enough to the visual cues of it are enough to make you feel like you're in another world. In fact, the best example that we've been doing with people all summer is uh, there's an app called Walk the Plank or Rogers Plank or something where you you are brought up 50 stories in a building and the elevator opens and there is a wooden plank dangling over the uh, the sidewalk. And 
I don't know. I have not experienced many people who are able to walk out onto the plank without a lot of uh, a, a lot of, of effort uh, at first. It, it certainly I, I talked about the plank, in fact, years ago when I experienced it at CES, they had some VR exhibit in the Seagate booth. It's the same thing. And it scared me the same way, like knees shaking, sweating. <laughs> what I'm getting to, though, is my son brought it with him to school, which meant he had it in his carry-on on the plane. They have a Netflix app for it. We were on JetBlue. JetBlue continues to understand what they need to deliver to give people a good flying experience. They were the first ones with TVs, right? And and now they're the only ones with, like, super fast and included in the price of your ticket Wi-Fi. Their Wi-Fi is fast enough that you can actually stream Netflix. And this is relevant hmm. because I put on Lucas's uh, headset, his, his Oculus headset with headphones, and I was in another world. I was in a living room with a big, huge screen, and I was navigating Netflix, and then I hit go, and the lights dimmed in the room, and I was able to watch a thing. I mean, I only watched for like five minutes, but it was amazing. And I was completely removed from the, you know, cramped hellscape of being on <clears throat> an airplane. Really, truly, if I was traveling, like I used to travel once every four to six weeks or something like that. If I was traveling with that frequency right now, I would absolutely buy one of these things. Uh, it's wireless, which is great, but you can obviously plug it in and, and charge it while you're going because it does burn power. You know, I think you only get, I don't know, three or four hours power out of it. But um, the Quest 2 is is pretty cool. It's... um. It's a pretty amazing little device. We had two of them for a period of time this summer because they Amazon sent my son the wrong size. Like they come in different, you know, you can get 128 gig or 256 or whatever it is. And they sent him the wrong size. And, and so they sent him another one and he had 30 days to return the first one. We played ping pong, John, on it from different rooms of the house. <laughs> it was no, it was like we were playing ping pong together. It, like truly amazing how how fluid the experience is. It was pretty cool. So, yeah, highly recommended. They were hard to get last Christmas. I think they're pretty easy to get right now. Um, I guess we got two more cool stuffs found, huh, John? Okay. Right? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Martin has a cool stuff found that is a follow-up. We've been, uh, or as Martin says, in a recent episode, you discussed a requirement or a desire to inspect email headers. So he has an answer for our geek challenge. Uh, from time to time in iOS, he says, I'm currently looking at an email app called Altamail, which, among other things, will allow header inspection in its iOS app. It also has Mac and iPhone apps uh, or Mac and iPad apps as well. Sorry. Uh, the downside for me is that it is a subscription and it's a little too heavyweight for my semi-retired status. So uh, so there you go. Uh, thank you for that. We will put a link to Altamail there. And uh, I believe Altamail works with any uh, email server, like any IMAP server. Yeah. It's from Eurosmarts. Oh yeah. 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 They do. I forgot about Eurosmarts, John. They make apps that are for like people like, like this is a perfect example. People that want to get a little geekier with their stuff. Mm -hmm. This gives, they give you more options. They give you a little more, you know, a little more depth. I forgot about Eurosmarts. Yeah. Good stuff. Cool. Thoughts on that? Any thoughts on that, John? Nope. Okay. All right. Um, one last one from Steve. 
while we're on the subject of email clients, Steve says, a fellow Mac user friend of mine was looking over my shoulder the other day and pointed to an app on my dock and said, what is that? And when I clicked on it and showed him Mime Stream, he was blown away. And it reminded me of how blown away I was when I first discovered this app a couple years ago. It's still technically in beta, he says, which I don't understand because it works flawlessly. But if you have several Gmail accounts like I do, this native Mac app is a game changer. It essentially is an email client for Gmail. And it does an amazing job of keeping the key features of Gmail in a browser that we love so much, like the promotions tab, spam filtering, etc., but doing it through a locally installed and very well executed app that is native to the Mac. The developers are super engaged and responsive as I've provided a lot of feedback over the years, which they've seemed to appreciate. Very cool. All right. Yeah. I had no idea mime stream existed. I don't think we've ever mentioned it on the show before. If we have, I have forgotten about it. So you use Gmail for anything, Mr. Braun? Mm, no. Okay. All right. Cool. No, just, just my, Yep. TMO accounts. Yep. Yeah, I'm still, I'm I'm not still, like, I'm very happy about my move to FastMail. And as somebody pointed out, the FastMail app will also show allow you to view email headers, but it only works with FastMail accounts. Mm. But um, but FastMail has a decent iOS app, too. So, but that, FastMail's been great, man. All right, we have, uh, we have more follow-ups. We have some questions that we will get to, including some follow-ups about, Contact management, which we mentioned in a recent episode. The next thing I want to do, though, John, is talk about our uh, three sponsors, if that works for you. Okay. All right. Our first sponsor is a new sponsor because now is the time to celebrate the first NFL Sunday of the season is about to kick off and DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL, is putting you in the center of this week's action. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit by signing up using our code MGG. And that lets you get in on the action now. It's super simple. You just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, of course, and see how your team stacks up against the competition can feel the NFL action like never before with a free shot at a million-dollar payday. Download the DraftKings app now and then use code MGG. This week, new customers can get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and compete for millions in prizes across all contests. Enter code MGG to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's code MGG only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. You get to see DraftKings.com for details and our thanks to DraftKings for sponsoring this episode. Next up is LinkedIn. You know, many small business owners are busier, more productive than ever these days. All that time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing our businesses. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get to the candidates worth interviewing faster. And it's free. This is how we found Sadie. I tried using just my network and things like that, like we used to do. No, 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 just use LinkedIn jobs. We got so many candidates 
It was amazing. And now you can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. And you get to focus on the candidates with the skills and experience you need. You can use screening questions to narrow people down and then use simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and then hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates it's worth interviewing faster. And did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MGG. That's linkedin.com slash MGG to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring this episode. And hey, while we're talking about being productive and not busy, Text Expander is something you are going to need in your life because you get to minimize your effort, maximize your productivity with this fantastic tool. I love accuracy and I love efficiency. And oftentimes those two things are at odds, not with Text Expander, because I can use Text Expander to go in and really massage and craft the perfect email response, the perfect customer service letter, the perfect sales inquiry, right? Those things are super important because when people are reading these things, that's you putting your first impression or your best foot forward and you want to have it just right. But you also want to be able to do these things quickly. You don't want to have to dig through your sent folder and copy and paste and deal with the, oh gosh, it's got the forwarding things. No, you put it in Text Expander, and then when it's time, boom, you type it, and out it comes. And you only have to type a little bit, hence Text Expander. Or you can choose it from a menu, but it lives in the library there in Text Expander, which means you can sync it to all your devices, and you can even sync snippets amongst your whole team. It's amazing, and you got to check it out. Even better, because you're a listener to Mac Geek Gab, you get 20% off your first year. It's true, 20% off your first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. And our thanks to Smile and Text Expander for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Uh, as I promised in the last episode, we were talking about uh, contact relationships. And, and you asked me, in fact, how does your phone know that Lisa is your wife? And I explained that I use a nickname to do this. And that's true, but it's not the entirety of the truth. Uh, I had, we, we also talked about that we thought there was, there used to be some way of assigning someone as a, a relative of some sort. And there is. Thank you to everyone who wrote in about this. So there are two ways to do this. The first is, um, Simply by using Siri on your phone and saying, hey, uh, uh, I, I don't like to say the hey word and the Siri word right next to each other in case your voice is similar enough to mine that I trigger your phone. So you say Siri, so-and-so. So for me, I'd say Siri, Lisa is my wife or Lisa Hamilton is my wife. And then Siri would make that connection. And you can even like tell it, you know, is no longer, which I'm not going to say because I don't want to put that out into the world. I like having Lisa as my wife. But, you know, you can use Siri to, to connect and disconnect people that way. Uh, there is another way of doing this or to just see what those um, those relationships are. And uh, 
It is in your My Contact card. So if you open up Contacts and you go to, on your Mac, and you go to My Card, which you can get to as uh, by going to the card menu and saying, go to My Card, uh, it will bring you to your card. And if you scroll down, you should be able to see uh, if you have any of these relationships defined. You can also edit your card and add those relationships all the way down. So I have, you know, spouse, brother, son, sister, father, mother, daughter, like those are all listed there and I can add other contacts. And so it relates these contacts back to me. And then I could say, you know, Siri, call my daughter and it would know who my daughter was based on this relation. Of course, you can edit them and change them there too. If, uh, if you desire, I realized I had, I had my son in there as my child, so I changed it to son when I was looking at this just because, you know, I figured, I mean, I don't think I would ever say, you know, Siri, call my son. That seems a little weird. Uh, it's just I mean, it's not weird. He is my son, but I would just never say it that way. Uh, but I figured, why not make it accurate? You know, so, yeah, uh, so it is doable. And thank you to everybody, everybody, everybody. Sure. Yeah, everybody. That's what we'll say. For uh, for sending all that in, you all rock because uh, because that's that's how you are. So I love it when a geek challenge is uh, is met with so much so much detail and fervor and ease. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> all right, moving on up. Yeah, so we got something here from Jonathan, um, and Jonathan says, "I got a text from my power company reminding me that chargers draw power even when they're not connected to a device." Or when the connected device is ready charged, they suggest that you should disconnect those chargers when not in use to save power. Considering how many chargers we have, unplugging them all the time would be a big pain in the butt. Any idea how much power draw is attributed to this? I'd never heard of this before or seen info on how much energy is wasted this way. Um, so I did a quick verification of the second case. It's not quite the right answer. I'll tell you how to get the right answer. But, um, <clears throat> So I had one of my machines was fully charged, and so I plugged the um, power adapter into it, and I used my um, little USB-C uh, USB uh, power meter. And sure enough, even when my machine was fully charged... Which machine? Um, uh, MacBook Pro. Thanks. 16-inch. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, and sure enough... It, even though the battery was fully charged, the power meter showed that it was, in fact, drawing power. But that's because it was a, it was a computer in use, right? It's not it's not your charger that was drawing power. It was your computer that was drawing power, which is mm -hmm. which is different from what his power company is alerting him to. Right. His power company saying even if your computer is right. Right. Like your computer was at 100 percent. Yes. But you were also using it. So it had to draw power from something, either the mm -hmm. battery to deplete it, which would then need to be recharged. Or I think what what his power company was saying, like even your if your phone is fully charged and, you know, sitting dormant on the on the thing, your charger itself still draws a little bit mm -hmm. like a wee little bit of power. Yeah, the I mean, the way to properly measure it. So one, if you know how to use a multimeter, um, you could look at the power draw um, 
from your wall, but that's 120 volts. So be careful that you don't electrocute yourself. How would you uh, do that with a multi? Now I'm curious. How would like, I'm comfortable with electricity. I'll do this. How? I mean, you can put, um, I'll have to say like pull the outlet in series. Yeah. Um, right. You'd have to put it in series, which my multimeter won't do. My multimeter would let me go in parallel because mm-hmm. it's got two leads, but I don't, uh, that, I don't think that would tell me how much current was flowing across it. Maybe. Yeah. I'll have to look. Uh, I'm almost certain my multimeter has a, a AC current thing. Yeah. Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe I'm just, I mean, you can measure the voltage. I mean, putting the leads in, in the right and the left and setting the multimeter to AC voltage. You, you can measure the voltage. Sure. Yeah, I'm going to have to review how to measure the current, or I'm sure you could get a, current meter (laughs) well the way i would do it is i would get a smart outlet that measures current Uh, i mean i mean you're right a current meter would do it but to add some utility and some you know geekiness to the process why not get something that's going to tell you via wi-fi what it's actually using right and then you could if you got a smart outlet if you find that your charger or I mean, like an individual charger is probably going to use so little that it's not worth mm-hmm. doing this. But but academically, like yes, I'm sure there's some. But if you had like a big charging brick by your bedside table, let's say that you know could charge mm-hmm. four or five things, maybe that does use some significant power. If you put it on a smart outlet uh, and got a smart outlet that managed that that monitored power usage, you could a monitor the power usage, which would answer your questions, but also. Uh, you could have that outlet turn itself off, say, during the day when you are not there and therefore not putting your devices on charge at night. And so, again, I, I like I feel like this is more academic than it is practical. I, I could be wrong, though. I haven't I haven't put a power meter yeah, on my charger. My um, so I have an Atomi uh, smart AC control. And among the things that it collects is. The amount of power being drawn through it, which is nice. So I run their app and I can see, yeah. you know, how much juice my, uh, it, and you know, I'll graph it over time and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know of a standalone smart outlet. Oh, there's tons that, of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't know of one off power, the top of my like head. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have one of the Amazon ones that I use to turn my laser printer on and off, but yeah. I don't think it measures power. Smart outlet power meter. Uh, yeah, I'm finding, I mean, I just searched Amazon for smart outlet power meter and uh, energy monitoring. So you can buy a four pack of BN Link Wi-Fi heavy duty smart plug outlet. No hub required with energy monitoring and timer function. Nice. White, 25 bucks for four of them. Now, those aren't going to be home kit, folks, but they will be, you know, Amazon A-Lady and, and those sorts of things. So like I, I could see that being handy. And there's a there's a zillion of them. You, you can pay any. I mean, I think. Oh yeah, yeah though, I, I get the sense that the power draw that. Yeah, it's like academic. Is that the power draw? Uh, spending the money. The twenty six dollars that you it's spend. It's going to take a lot of money to recoup uh, what you spend on the things to measure the the. Uh, yeah, the, the power draw. <laughs> I think I, 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 I could have this totally wrong. But I, I, I definitely saw a report recently that that talked about how much energy 
in normal places. So not Hawaii where power mm-hmm. prices are like four times as much, but how much, how much energy, what the cost was to charge your iPhone every day for a year. And I want to, it was definitely less than $10 a year, right? Like it mm-hmm. was, I think it was in the six or $7 range. And that's to charge your iPhone. That's actually putting, you know, power into the battery that you're then going to use. So without charging your iPhone, I think you might be at $7 over the, over your lifetime, unless something has a super inefficient power supply. Like if you're noticed, here's a good way to tell when your device is not being charged, when nothing's plugged into it, you know, other than maybe the cable, touch the device, touch its power. If it has a power supply. That would actually be a, a a a warning sign. If your charger has its own power supply, that's probably a show, a sign that it's built inefficiently. But touch the power supply, touch the charger. If it's hot, then it's wasting electricity. Unless you're using it to heat your house, which you know, I guess, or maybe you put your coffee on it and and kill two birds. I don't know, but um, touch it. If you can feel heat, then there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I actually did that one time. So I bought a, um, it looked like an Apple MagSafe uh, charger for my prior machine. Sure. Um, But it didn't have an Apple on it. But it looked exactly the same. I think it was probably made in the same factory that Mm. Apple makes theirs. Or it was a good knockoff. Sure. Because, I mean, it was a lot less expensive than Apple's. But here's one thing I did to tell the difference between the two. So I have one of these uh, Seek thermal... um, thermal uh uh, like cameras oh okay all right and i aimed it at both and the knockoff was definitely warmer so they used different components that i think were less efficient than the apple product that's really smart (laughs) huh oh interesting all right those those thermal cameras are cool man so this is from, like I, uh, used it, I used it to detect, Seek is the one Seek, that I have. Seek Thermal at thermal.com. Okay, I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's handy. Um, the other thing I used it for is uh, finding spots in your house where all the heat is escaping in the winter. Oh, right. I actually used it to find a duct. So there was one part of my house that was like really cool. And I found a duct that I didn't know existed. <laughs> that make, totally makes sense. That's brilliant, man. Oh, it was um, because it was cooler than everything else around it. And I was like, what's going on here? And I I found it was a exhaust for the uh, for the um, for the uh, uh, stove. Sure. um, That they then uh, sealed over for whatever reason. I don't know why. Interesting. All right. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to put a link to seek thermal in there. But but if you can update it. You know, maybe after the show with a link to your specific camera so that people can, yeah. can do the same thing you can. That'd be awesome. Wow. What a guy. I love this. I got to get one. I mean, it's mostly I'm asking you to put it in there so I can order one. But that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that that's what this show's about. Right. Like we talk about the things that interest us. And therefore, you know, because the things that interest us interest you, it all works together. That's how the audience thing works. It's beautiful. All right. While we're on the subject of chargers, a few weeks ago, I asked uh, people for feedback about whether they use uh, Qi as their primary or perhaps even only method of charging. And uh, we got actually quite a bit of feedback about that. And there's lots of you that do. Matt, uh, Matt's comment actually sums it up really well. So I'm going to let Matt take it away. Hey, Dave, John, and I do pilot Pete. I'm a couple episodes back. So 
maybe on in the past couple of weeks. Matt from Chapel Hill, just checking in with a brief comment. A couple of uh, episodes ago, Dave, you were checking in about does anyone use their Qi charging exclusively? And I have to say that of late, probably, I don't know, six or so months, that's the way I've been doing it. And I really enjoy it. I particularly like it as I have it next to my bed. And so I just put it down and in the morning I pick it back up and I don't have to fiddle with anything. I can use do it by feel, which is great. And I've also been using my watch as my kind of nightstand, my Apple watch as my nightstand uh, time. And um, that, that works for me. Just a, a brief kind of tip, I guess, as well, if anyone. Yeah is uh, like I am, likes to use the magnetic car mounts in the vents. Um, I thought that would prevent me from using Qi effectively, but I have found that if I uh, use a case with a back, that's important, so that I can sandwich the metal disc at the bottom. This is where I put it, this is the key here. Put that metal disc at the, quite near the bottom um, of the back of the phone it still supports the phone. In fact, the weight of the phone seems to um, be just fine in supporting that uh, the mount, the magnetic mount. But also, it's for me anyway, far enough below the Qi coils that when I then put it down on my, uh, I have an anchor, uh, not the high, um, not the fast or the high speed, but just the yeah. standard. I guess that's five or so watts. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does not interfere with Qi charging at all. Right. And I would just say then also, for me, you wondered, oh, well, can you tell if it's charging or not charging? And my phone anyway gives an, uh, an audible uh, ding or dong sound. So I can always tell when I put it down if it's charging appropriately. But anyway, um, you can have your cake and eat it. You can use the magnetic disc centered quite low if you have a case with a, a, a back. I have a clear back. And, um, and get the charging done. So anyway, that's for me. Thanks for doing what you do. Don't get caught. Uh-huh. Thank you very much, Matt. That's great. And in addition to Matt's sort of intentional tip, his comment that he uses his watch on his nightstand. What a fantastic thing for those of us that uh, that don't do that at home. Don't forget about it. All you have to do is put your watch on charge and then lay it on its side with the crown up and your watch will go into nightstand mode, which while I was traveling for the last couple of weeks or the last week and a half, whatever was awesome because I, you know, the places I stayed didn't necessarily have clocks right next to the bed, but it didn't matter. I can have my watch right there. If it, um, I think my watch was going, I think I have mine set not to just be on. Maybe that's normal. I don't know. But, um, you know, all I had to do was like tap it a little bit and I can see the time right from bed and it's right there and it's super handy. So, yeah, that's it. it these little these little touches really do make a difference. So thank you for all that, Matt. That's great. Uh, you want to take us to David? Well, we'll stick with our our charger. Uh, yes. So uh, David asks, uh, checking in on a topic I'm not sure you've covered. Uh, no, we haven't. Um, how long should I expect my Qi charger to last? I've had one for about three years that charges three devices and the watch is fine. The other two spots don't seem to charge as well as they did. Is this something that's common or are they only made to last for a couple of years? Three years seems a bit short, but then again, it was only 25 bucks. Um, uh, hard for me to say because 
the first Qi charger that I bought is about three years old and it still works. Mm. So, um, um, I, so yeah, I mean, there's really no moving parts, so it shouldn't, uh, so it shouldn't ever fail in my humble opinion. Um, yeah, the, the only thing that I could think of is that, I mean, there is heat involved here, right? Like, so mm-hmm. is, is that going to burn something out over time? I, I, I mean, you know, it's, but you're right. Heat's the only thing happening. There are no moving parts. So as long as the, as long as heat doesn't have a negative effect on that coil, then yeah. Um, the only thing I can think of is that if, if, um, if you perceive that it's not charging as quickly as it used to, um, you may want to check your power source for it. Um, just to make sure it's providing the uh, enough power to the, uh, it sounds like it's a mat since it's, he says he can put three things on it. Yeah. It's probably, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the power supply may be going, you may want to get one of those, uh, USB power meters and just see how much juice it's getting. And if it's enough for it to, if it's powered by USB, it might not be and, and, and like a normal cheap pad. Yes. His, if he's using a, a, a mat that may or may not be like my mat, the, the God, why can't I ever remember who makes this? <laughs> I think it's Belkin. It sits right behind me. I use it all the time. Uh, sorry. It's not Belkin. It's nomad. Uh, I don't know why I have so much trouble with that, but, um, that Nomad charging mat does use a uh, a, a USB C you know power delivery to to power it, so I could put a power meter on that. Just remember, it, it, compare apples to apples, right? Know that the power that it draws is not the power your devices are getting, um, because you're losing you know probably fifty percent of it to heat. I think is about what um, what has been reported in general. I don't know about that mat in particular. But um, but, you know, quite a bit is lost to heat in in the chi uh, process. But as long as you're just comparing like I hear is me charging my iPhone at 10 percent. Right. Because your iPhone will draw different power at 10 percent than at 90 percent. Right. And so be very careful that you're you're controlling all the variables. But as long as you are, then you can check it, you know, once a month and see is the you know is is the usage declining and if so there you go now now you know so yeah uh one last little follow-up i'd love to get to some questions today uh although we're taking a lot of time with these follow-ups and it's great uh it was from the chat room live.macgeekab.com uh listener alan 567 noted the answer to yet another geek challenge uh was that i wanted to see my iPhone's console without it being plugged into power because power changes what the iPhone will do. And he reminds us or tells us if we didn't know, which I don't think I did (laughs) that. iMazing will let you view your iPhone's console without it being wired to your Mac. It will see it wirelessly. So bear that in mind too. Thank you, Alan. Great stuff. And I think uh, Ferrer sent in that, that same note as well. So thank you to everybody. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see how many questions we can do here, John. So listener John sends in the question and says, uh, 
I'm going to uh, migrate to iCloud Plus with custom email domains. And once the final release is available, how would you recommend moving around 20 gig of email across from my current provider to iCloud? My inbox itself contains about 16,000 emails. Plus, I have older emails stored in various archive mailboxes. I've set up the Google backup service to backup my emails to my Google Drive. So could I, so could I download the backup from there and then import to my Mac? Uh, but just wondered is if there's a better way. How would you verify that everything has successfully copied? It might sound like a simple question, but from past experience, I think there is significant risk of the copy process being incomplete without me knowing it. Yeah, um, you're right that if if your mail provider and and in this case it's iCloud, and I am pretty certain of the answer here, but if your mail provider does not offer a server to server migration path, then your best perhaps only way of doing it is by using your mail client. And so uh, your suggestion, John of downloading the inbox archives and importing them into your mail client, uh, that would work. Just make sure you set up your new email box, you know, your IMAP email box, first and then import those inboxes into your existing imap boxes so import the inbox into that inbox and then it will upload it from your mac to the server uh the way i've done it in the distant past when i have done this migration is to simply connect to both imap accounts at the same time which mail is perfectly happy to let you do and then go to say my inbox command a to select all and then I, you could do it by dragging, but it's so many messages that I would hate to land on the wrong thing. So I go to like the messages menu or the, I right click and choose move and choose my target and choose wisely and carefully and then say go and then just leave mail alone. Don't let your computer sleep, you know, just let it do its thing. The mail activity window will give you some indication as to how it's progressing, but it's not perfect, but that's really the only way to do it. Um, it's one of the things I loved about my recent migration to Fastmail was that I um, that they have a server to server migration and I just gave it my Google credentials and went to sleep. And it by the time I woke up, it had slurped it all in from the server. And the way to check is to, you know, spot check it, go to your inbox and see, do you have, you know, 16,402 messages in one and 16,402 messages mm -hmm. in the other? If so, great. Good to go. If not, well, do it again. So, yeah, I had to a while ago, uh, I think when I signed up for Yahoo and I wanted to transfer some stuff. Yeah. And at that point, Apple Mail wasn't that great at copying a large number of emails from one server to another. Um, so just the caution, because I yeah. ran into it. it, it would come up with some stupid SNMP error. Oh, SMTP error, you mean? Or SMTP. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, uh, oh, I couldn't I couldn't transfer one of these emails because there's something wrong with the header or something. And so oh. and it would stop. It was like, well, that's that's things. So the way I solved the problem is I would copy in small batches like I drag over 100 at a time. Oh. It, it, it kind of sucked. That but blows. I mean, eventually yeah. got over. <laughs> yeah, that's no good. Yeah, I, I've had I've moved thousands at a time and it's fine. But you're right. I mean, it it can get wonky. The moving and I use the word move. I should not have copy is the right thing. No reason to move them. Leave them where they are. <clears throat> the the copy process would be the right way. Yeah. So 
All right. Good luck with that, John. Uh, mm -hmm. Not you, listener, you know, listener, John. Uh, shall we shall we go to Todd here, John? Sure. OK, Todd. Well, Todd is going to say what Todd has to say. Hi, I'm, hi, I'm Max Geeky Gabbers. This is ADD Todd out of Utah. Uh, I've got some general, probably stupid questions that I've probably been been caught at. I'm running an older MacBook, all I can afford. It's got High Sierra on it. Um, but something I've never been quite sure of for all of uh, OS X is should I be running Onyx on a like a weekly basis or maybe a monthly basis and booting into safe mode to clear caches and so on on a weekly or monthly basis? It's my understanding, and I could easily be wrong, that for the maintenance routines to run, the system has to be left on 24 hours a day. Um, I use mine in the morning. I use mine in the afternoon. I turn it off when I go to bed. Um, you know, so it's on maybe about half the day. Am I doing something really wrong? I would be interested in hearing your responses and replies in the upcoming um, Mac Geek uh, MacCast. Keep up the good work. Keep having fun, and don't be like me. Like I said, I think I've been caught. Bye bye. <laughs> no problem. And uh, yeah, MacCast is a fantastic show, but we, we and I love Adam, and we will, but we will give you some answers here. John, you want to start? Um, you know, everything that was suggested sounds like a good thing to do. Okay. The thing is, personally, Dave, I don't take any of these steps until something starts going wrong. Well, uh, let me take that back. So there's one thing that I do is that I do a restart of my, uh, of this, uh, my, uh, uh, Mac mini. I do a restart of it, uh, once a week. Yeah. Yeah, per your suggestion, because it gets wonky. Uh, well, and and usually that manifests itself as like weird audio and video glitches. Yep. So, yep. I um, I, I was gonna say do a restart every ten days or or less. Like mm -hmm. on my laptop, that's it, whenever I notice my laptop getting weird or doing strange things. And this is true of any computer, but my desktops, like you, I use Energy Saver to schedule a restart, and so I don't deal with it. But um, but I'm, if I notice my laptop getting weird and I look at how long it's been up, it's almost always, you know, double digits in terms of days. So, yeah, that, that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, you know, doing the other things he said, like run Onyx or boot in safe mode, I typically don't take those steps until something is not working right. That, that's fair. Yeah. So there's what I there's what what I should do and what I actually do. That's so fair. I want to be honest with you. <laughs> no, I'm kind of the same. He uh, in fact, I'm definitely the same. I, I generally only run Onyx if I if I know there's a problem or I'm trying to troubleshoot something. Um, he asked about the maintenance scripts. There's a bit of a misconception there. They will run if your computer is asleep. Um, so you don't need to leave it on 24 seven. There was a period of time where they were more likely to run if your computer was on or more likely not to run if your computer was asleep. But, um, but I, but Apple has, has dealt with that for the most part. However, 
if you have a computer that is asleep a lot, like a laptop that you aren't using as your daily driver, that may not run maintenance as often as you want. So it's worth checking that or simply doing that with Onyx just to stay ahead of it. But, you know, for a desktop Mac or just one that you use regularly, uh, I don't I don't think you're going to have a problem. I think it's going to take that maintenance is going to happen. So, yeah, it's good stuff. You know, we have so many more questions, John, than we are going to have time to answer here today. So I think what we need to do is um, we'll do a, another show next week. We'll do 889. Um, I think we have to. No. I, I don't think okay. we can. I don't think we can end. <laughs> we don't get to just stop doing the show. So. Send in your questions. Like we said, feedback at MacGeekGab.com. We'd love to hear from you. We do love to hear from you. Uh, whatever you have to share. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's amazing. Anything else, John? Did, did I have anything? Did you have anything else for Todd's question? I, I brought in the band, so. No, no. Maybe I jumped the gun. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Go subscribe on YouTube. And that way you can uh, see and hear the segments that uh, that we chop out and share for you. So it's uh, youtube.com slash podcast, but that link is right there in the show notes for your clicking pleasure. Clicking ease. Convenience. Why don't we just use the word convenience and not make it weird? Okay, uh, that's what I got. You got anything else, John? I got nothing. All right. Make sure to check out our sponsors, folks. Of course, DraftKings.com with code MGG to get your free shot at a million-dollar top prize. LinkedIn.com slash MGG to post your first job for free. And TextExpander.com slash podcast to get 20% off your first year. See all the other deals we have at MacKeekab.com slash sponsors. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Thanks for um, listening. Thanks for sharing all of your quick tips and questions and all that. And um, yeah. Oh, oh, John, one more thing. Mm -hmm. Don't get caught. Made up.